Um, this morning's reading was taken from Genesis uh, chapters 1 and uh, verses 26 to 31 and chapter 2, 4 to 15. So it's on pages 1 and 2 in the Bible. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The chapter 2, starting at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden of yeast in Eden, and there he put the man, in, the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire line, land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is the word of the Lord. Now, usually, at Resurrection Church. Um, usually we preach through whole books of the Bible or large consecutive sections of books of the Bible um, because we believe that God knew what he was doing when he put the Bible together. And so he didn't organize the Bible according to topics or themes. Um, he organized it in uh, narratives and history books and poetry and so forth. And so uh, we believe that as we work through the Bible in the order that he has given it to us, um, in the way it's written, paying close attention to its structure and organization, we allow God to set the agenda for our church. So it's not just what I think would be good for you to hear this week, uh, 
but it's what God has put into his word for us. We get the whole counsel of God that way, and we don't just get Lucas's hobby horses and uh, the things that he thinks we should hear. That is the normal practice because we believe it's the best practice. But just occasionally, we do a themed uh, sermon series, and that's what we're going to be doing um, this week and in the next two weeks. We're looking at what the Bible teaches us about work. This week, work is good. Next week, work is cursed. And the week after, work is redeemed. This week, we're starting with work is good. Now, I know that that is not a feeling that many of us will be having right now. It's an especially difficult time, I think, for lots of us um, in all sorts of ways. And I'm keenly aware that at this point in our collective um, consciousness, so we, we are struggling maybe with burnout, with exhaustion in our jobs. If you uh, stay at home with kids, you are um, perhaps exhausted from homeschooling and uh, the cancellation of classes and all of those sorts of things. If you're a helper, um, exhausted with having to look after the families and uh, so forth. But the next week, uh, we're gonna, next week we're going to talk about all those reasons why work isn't as fulfilling as we might like it to be, why it's so hard. But work is, in fact, good. That is uh, what we're emphasizing this week. Many will be familiar with the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, which we read a section of. It tells the sweeping story of creation in its sort of cosmic perspective, the, the structured, the, the poetic way that God unfolded all of creation, from galaxies to grass. He spoke the universe into existence, and he called it good. God is a worker. He worked to create the world. And the crowning achievement of his work, he created humanity, you and, and me. And when he made us, he gave us this distinct, this special role within the creation that he had formed. And we see that in chapter 1, verse um, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, in, in the ancient Near East, as far as we can tell from the, the sources we can find, there weren't very many people made in the image of God, so they thought. The, the, the only people made in the image of God were the emperor, were, were the pharaoh. So uh, Pharaoh in Egypt, he's made in the image of Ra, the sun god, and, and the emperor of Babylon, he's made in the image of um, Marduk or, or uh, Baal or, or something like that. And that is why they would often be worshipped by their subjects, because here is the, the sort of image of God before us. We need to bow down before him, do whatever he says. He has absolute power. But Genesis 1 tells us a different story. It tells us that all of humanity, every single one of us here, is made in the image of God. Not just special people, not just powerful people. From the greatest to the least, men and women, um, children and elderly people are in the image of God. And as God's image bearers on the earth were given a unique role, it was there in verse 26, 
It, it's there again in verse uh, 28. It's mirrored around um, that, that uh, telling that we're in the image of God. Verse 28 says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So though God is the creator and sustainer and ruler of the universe, he has made us as his sort of local governors of the earth. So human beings are given authority on earth to rule over it, to subdue it. Now, now that doesn't give us free reign to do whatever we like with the earth. No, we're still in his image. We're meant to rule according to the way that he has ruled, which is with generosity, which is with creativity, with, which is with love and benevolence. That's how we're created to rule on this earth. And how do we do that? Practically speaking, what does it look like to rule? Well, we find out in chapter 2, uh, verse 15, we rule through our work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You see, work is not a necessary evil. It's not just uh, something that was required after sin entered the world. Work was right there at the beginning, before sin entered the world, as part of God's perfect design for humanity. And we're told that Adam was told to, to work and to keep, to, to work and to take care of the earth. Two Hebrew words that sum up every person's God-given calling in this world, and we're going to think about both. First, work. So that, that's a, a word that could be translated as serve or labor or cultivate and or accomplish. It, it's a word that sums up everything that a gardener might do in his garden to, to cultivate it. You dig and you plant seeds and that's work. You, you fertilize and you water and that's labor. You, you prune and you build trellises and that is cultivation. It's about bringing good things into being out of raw materials. It's about bringing order out of chaos. And that is the work that God himself did. And he calls those people made in his image, that's us, to do the same sort of work. Notice that even in his perfect creation, though, uh, God has left work to be done. Did you see that in chapter 2, verse 5? Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. So what does that mean? It, it means that God left some parts of the earth dry and uncultivated and barren uh, so that Adam and Eve would have a, a place to apply their work to, a, a place to cultivate and to bring into a flourishing garden-like state, to irrigate it, cultivate it, make it lush and productive. He created the world, therefore, not with a fully realized productivity, but with a potential for productivity. And he says to you and I, go and make it productive. Go and unlock the potential that I've built in 
to the structure of creation itself. And we see that same thing in verses 11 and 12. The, the name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Now remember, we're talking about and we're reading the story of the creation of the first human beings on earth. And, and so how many centuries would it be? Uh, how, how many millennia would it take for humanity to discover those things that God built into the fabric of the world from the beginning? To discover that gold and that onyx and, and that aromatic resin that he put there. The first person that discovered gold and, and uh, worked out how to find more and mine it, he had to work to do that. Then there are others who came along and said, well, it's in this kind of ore state. Maybe we could get it out of the, the rock and purify it and make uh, jewelry and things out of it. Somebody had to work, apply themselves to do that. And then they had no idea that centuries on, it would become an essential part of circuit boards for computers. And you know, Somebody had to work to figure that out as well. And until a few months ago, none of us knew that gold would allow me to stand before you and know that I'm not an infectious danger for you. Because the little rat tests that we take have colloidal gold in them. None of us knew that a few months ago, a year ago, and now we do. And how many more centuries or millennia will it take before we exhaust all the potential that God built into just one element, gold? And think about that on the scale of the whole earth, how much potential that God has built in. And he says to you and I, go and make it productive. Do something with these things that I've given you. God has called us to join him in his creative work. Isn't that interesting? He wants us to rearrange the raw materials of creation in ways that help the world to flourish and that help particularly people to flourish. If we're made in his image, we're the most important things on earth. It doesn't mean we destroy the earth, but it means we take special care of people and every working person doing almost any kind of work that you can think of, whether it's paid or unpaid, takes part in this highly dignified calling. Farmers produce crops from seeds and soil. Helpers produce nutritious meals from uh, the raw materials that they buy at the grocery store. Parents nurture and discipline children and raise them to be God-fearing, uh, contributing members of society. Musicians, they take the, the vibrations and the percussions of uh, these instruments and form them into music. Cleaners cultivate an environment where we can stay healthy and productive. Teachers shape unformed minds to think. Managers unlock and combine the skills and gifts of their team to bring about something productive. Entrepreneurs create products and jobs that, that better allow um, us to, to, to have a better quality of life. 
lawyers. They structure contracts that allow business to uh, operate more efficiently. Every kind of work contributes to this calling that God has given humanity. Whether, whenever we call order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we develop people and ideas beyond what we have found, uh, beyond the state we found them in, there we're following God's pattern of work. And that is what humanity in general, and each one of you in particular, was created to do. But God, he commands us to work and to take care. That's the other uh, word that he gives to Adam there, take care. But that could also be translated as guard, or protect, or watch over, or keep. It's a word that might be used to describe the work of a soldier, or a shepherd, or a government official. It, it means to keep the people and things under your care from danger. And it's a necessary part of all work. So think, for example, of your home. It was the work of a few months, maybe, to build your home. But it is the work of a lifetime to take care of your home, to guard it, to protect it from water ingress or uh, crumbling walls or whatever it might be. If you don't take care of the things that you build, well then it's quickly going to be destroyed. So God says we are to work and to take care. Repair the leaking roof, dehumidify the interior, chop back the encroaching jungle, and keep what you have built. And so wherever we protect people or things, or we defend against wickedness or danger, uh, wherever we hold chaos at bay, we're doing the work of taking care. And so in those two Hebrew words, uh, work and take care, cultivate and defend, we see the entire constellation of human work described. Whatever your work is, whether it is highly paid or uh, and well recognized or low paid and anonymous, there is dignity in your work. Because through work, you are bearing God's image in the world. We have God's image, but we make it manifest as we work. Of course, some kinds of work will be more worthwhile than others. Certainly any line of work that compels people to sin is not worthy. It's more destructive than it is productive. And if you're in a job where after concerted effort, thinking about what you do and who's affected by it, if you're in a job where you cannot see how it leads to a more flourishing world or more flourishing People, well then maybe it's time to prayerfully consider a change. Look for another job. But whatever your job might be, work is a necessary and essential part of a good and godly life. That essential goodness of work, that's reflected in the New Testament all over the place as well, um, where we see that it's necessary for those who are followers of Jesus to be diligent workers. Turn, if you would, to uh, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, it's towards the back of your Bibles, 
can get there first, give us a page number. Two Thessalonians chapter three on page eight three eight of the Pew Bibles. This is what Paul says to some uh, members of a church that were struggling to see the value of work, shall we say. They had uh, so put their hopes in Christ's return that they thought, uh, we're not going to, to work anymore. And Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle, who does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Work is an essential part of a godly life, and it's actually, um, it's actually spiritually dangerous not to work. Paul, he was a tent maker. And even though he could have lived as a, a preacher and an apostle, he was a tent maker. In 1 Timothy 5, we won't look up all of these, but 1 Timothy 5 is just across the page, um, on page 840. In verse 8, Paul says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever if we won't work to provide. Ephesians 4, verse 28, Paul says uh, that when a thief converts... He should no longer steal, but work so that he has something to share with those in need. Back in 1 Thessalonians, uh, or, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 8, therefore, sorry, lost the verse. Uh, verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. It's respectable to work. It's a good witness to work. It allows us to provide for other people to work. There's dignity in work itself, but the, the gifts that extend from our work go well beyond each of us as individuals. Diligent work is a necessary part of Christian life. After all, Jesus was a carpenter, Paul was a tent maker, Peter was a fisherman, Luke was a doctor, and, and we know the professions of so many of these New Testament characters, don't we? And so every day this week, when you wake up tomorrow and 
and are getting ready for work, I hope you can say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for allowing me to feed myself and others by this work that I'm doing today. Thank you for the dignity of being made in your image and uh, called to carry out this creative work in your world, to cultivate and protect your creation. Help me to display your image in the office today, in the, in the classroom today, in my employer's house today, wherever your work might be. But as we draw to a close, I, I do want to draw out a, a few final applications. First, notice that the dignity that Christianity gives to work is in marked contrast to the way that the world and our culture talks about work. Uh, our culture tells us that the good life is a life lived solely for leisure and for play. Uh, Hong Kong works hard. People in, in uh, investment banking, they work hard, but the goal is to retire at 40 and sail off in your yacht, isn't it? Or at least we're meant to think that's the goal. The lifestyle section of the newspaper promises that fulfillment lies in lavish holidays and long and leisurely retirements, how to spend it in the Financial Times. It presents work as a necessary evil to get those things. And when we, we see people retire, and here in Saikang, we look out over the bay, we literally see them sail off into the sunset in their yachts. Well, we're encouraged to think that is the definition of a well-lived, successful life. They're doing that at 50. Well done. But that isn't true according to what the Bible teaches. The God of the Bible is a worker. He has made us to be workers. Jesus says that his heavenly Father is working up to this very day, and Jesus says he is always about the Father's work in the world. And so his followers ought to be workers as well. He tells his disciples to keep working so long as there is day. Therefore, work is not a necessary evil or something that we should try to escape. Holidays are good. They're uh, sometimes essential to reset our, our hearts and our minds. But work is essential for the flourishing human life. If we are privileged enough to be able to, uh, to um, that we don't need to do a job to earn money, maybe we have enough money, well, this is an opportunity to work in ways that other people cannot work. It's not an opportunity to sit in leisure, but to work in other ways. This frees us up to care for children or for sick relatives, to use our homes for hospitality and for mission, uh, to be more engaged in serving in the church or in serving poor and needy people if we don't have to work in order to um, earn our money. Such incredible good is done in Hong Kong. I think we will all recognize this. Such incredible good is done in Hong Kong by trailing spouses, by stay-at-home parents, by um, retired people, by people who are between employments, and it's done when they insist on continuing to work even when it's not for money. We will feel most fulfilled and satisfied with our days when we put an effort into some kind of work.
So let's not fall for the cultural lie of what the good life is. Secondly, the equality of work. The lie that the world tells us is that only flashy careers really matter and are really worthy. Highly paid, impressive uh, careers that are intellectually stimulating. But the Bible teaches that whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's technical or relational, whether it's a person uh, that is a street cleaner or a C-suite executive, they are equally able to please God in their work. And if they both suddenly disappear, the, the executive or the street cleaner, which one do you think we would notice first? They were missing. We would see the accumulation of rubbish, wouldn't we? Far before we noticed the international CEO missing. Maybe we found ourselves feeling ashamed because our work life isn't what we hoped it would be. That we wanted to progress in our career in a certain way, but the reality of needing to care for our children or our relatives or our own ill health, maybe it prevented us from advancing in that way that we had hoped. Or maybe we've been made redundant, we've been pushed out, you thought you would be the boss, but here you are starting over again in, uh, from the bottom. My encouragement to you is that whatever you are doing, whatever work, it has immense dignity and value. You are able to bear God's image there. There is no need to feel ashamed or to feel lesser than. Likewise, if you have climbed the ranks in your work and and you have achieved something, consider how you relate to those who work under you. Do you treat the security guards in your building in the same way that you treat your peers at your level of your organization? With the same courtesy, with the same respect? Would the people working in the wet market, would the baristas, would your helper if you have one, would they know that you consider their work to be as valuable as your work? If not, why not? Or take another angle on this equality of work. Maybe you feel trapped by your accomplishments. Maybe you are on the verge of burnout, and, and maybe you're well over the edge of burnout. You're plummeting down into the ravine of burnout, but you're scared to take time out for a career break or scared to, to move into a different field because you don't know what else you could do that would allow you to attain this same level of achievement. And if you're not doing this, well, you can't imagine what you could do. But if we can equally glorify God in any kind of work, then you're free to take any role that would provide for you and for your dependents. It's better to take a pay cut. It's better to lose worldly prestige if it allows you to be more invested and engaged and loving towards your family and your colleagues and the world around you. There's no loss to moving into a role with less prestige. Of course, a person may aspire to take on more responsibility. They may want to use their gifts in, in different ways and so forth, but there's nothing inherently more worthy about a professional career than there is about manual labor. If 
both allow a person to provide for themselves and others, both are good. So there's no room for arrogance, no room for self-pity when it comes to Christians and their work. Third, recognize that God has called us to work in a world that he has filled with abundant potential. All of us will have at times in our life felt confined, exhausted, bored in our jobs. We're going to think more about why that is next week when we think about the curse and how it affects work. But there is always, if Genesis 1 and 2 is right, there is always room for creative development in your work. We might find ourselves in a rut, but there are always new techniques, new technologies, new approaches, new partnerships that we can form that will allow us to, to cultivate. There are always more losses or dangers or difficulties that we can guard against. So if we're in a rut, if we feel stuck, maybe it's time to pray and to ask the creator, creative God of the universe to help give you the creativity that you need to change things in the way you're working, in the field you're working in. Fourth and, and last, despite the inherent goodness and dignity of work, we need to keep in mind that we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. As we will see next week, because of sin, the world is cursed. And if you have felt like your work is more frustration and hardship and suffering than it is goodness and creativity and abundance, well, there's a reason for that. I'm going to talk about that. And I'm sure you're not the only one. Every person that works, works in the context of frustration, of thorns, of difficulty, of sweat. Come back next week. Hear the other part of the story. But for now, just know this, if that's how you're feeling this Sunday morning. The whole story of the Bible is about the lengths that God would go to to rescue a sin-cursed people. Those who are beleaguered and beaten down those who have not achieved all that they had hoped to achieve and will not achieve it. Jesus, who is the exact image and representation of the invisible God, he took on flesh so that he could work. He did the work that we could not do by living a perfect life, dying a perfect death, so that he could give us the reward that we could not earn which is eternal life. <clears throat> so your value in this world is not dependent on what you achieve in your work. Though you were made to work, though it's right and good to work, Jesus Christ has given you the value, given each one of us the value that we have, and a value that lasts to eternity. So with that, allow me to pray. Father God, we thank you for the work that you have placed each one of us in. We thank you uh, for those things about our work that give us joy and that uh, give us satisfaction and that, that make us feel um, good about 
ourselves, our, our work, our, our lives, this world. Please, this week, would you show us in various ways the goodness of the work that we're in? Please, would you open our eyes to see how we're taking part in your creative, um, your creative character in this world, bearing your image. Lord, please keep us looking to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.